the season of Advent, and I, I love the season of Advent. And if you haven't been around a church that has observed Advent, um, Advent is four weeks leading up to the celebration of Christmas. Maybe some of you grew up observing it. Maybe some of you didn't. Um, we lightly observe it here. We don't do liturgy, but we do like to observe Advent. Uh, it's a very important season in the Christian church because it's kind of a season of forced waiting. Um, we like to use the Advent candles, and what we do with these is we light one to mark each Sunday before Christmas, and then there's the Christ candle in the middle, so we'll do that each week of Advent. Uh, but we want to let you know what this next four weeks is about. It's about engaging in a season of waiting. We're not good at waiting in 2019, are we? We're not used to waiting for anything. If we don't want to wait for dinner, we have a microwave there, and now we have Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Thank God for food delivery and takeaway. I may or may not utilize this every Sunday night. Um, but uh, when I first moved to France, I moved to France in 2010, and I moved from the US, which is kind of the land of convenience. And I was like, what do you mean I can't get Doliplan at the same place I buy my apples? What do you mean I have to go down the street to get like something that I can't get at the grocery store? America is a magical wonderland where you go to Super Walmart and you get everything you need. Uh, but in France, it was not so easy. Um, and when I first moved here, Amazon was like a sad show in France. Ten years later, the Lord has made a way through the wilderness, and we have Amazon Prime. And you can order almost anything you want, and it will show up the next day, except we're still in France, so sometimes the delivery guy leaves it at some random store, and you have to chase it around town. Uh, but, but my galleon of my apartment building thinks that I'm like funding Jeff, Be Jeff Bezos' next vacation home. I get so many boxes from Amazon because I hate to shop. I hate to shop. I hate to go to stores. I hate it. So I get everything from Amazon, and it comes to me, and I don't even have to wait for it. It's, if I have to wait three days, forget it. I don't even want it in my life. So we don't like to wait, and we have figured out a lot of ways in today's world that we don't have to wait for things. And we justify to ourselves that we shouldn't have to wait for things because God wants us to be happy and fulfilled right where we are. But Advent is about taking a step back and waiting in two different directions. The first is that Advent is about remembering the darkness before the light came into the world. So on Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus Christ was born into the world, God with us. And Advent is the time when we intentionally wait and we remember what it was like when the world was dark before Jesus came. In Isaiah chapter 9, the prophet Isaiah says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So we remember the period of waiting before the first coming of Jesus and we also remember that we're now in a season of waiting, waiting for the second coming of Jesus. We sing it in the song this morning, he shall return in robes of white, the blazing sun. I can never sing that part. I told the band, I said, if I stop singing, keep going, because I usually cry a little bit at that part. But we're now in what we call a second advent, which is a season of waiting for Jesus to come back. God fulfilled all of his promises in the Old Testament by bringing Jesus to us. And because of that, we know, we're confident that God will fulfill his promises with the ultimate resurrection and redemption of all creation at the second coming of Christ. 
So we observe Advent because we recognize that a season of darkness makes us appreciate the light. We recognize that a season of waiting makes us appreciate redemption that much more. Have you ever gone to someone's home for dinner or maybe someone in your home was preparing dinner and you were so hungry, you were so hungry and you wanted to eat and someone said to you, don't eat now, dinner's going to be so good. And you just want to eat like, you know those little peanuts that are wrapped in the little crunchy shell they have here? Like you eat a whole bag of those because you're just desperate to eat. But if you wait and you get to the point where you take a bite of that delicious meal, the meal tastes even better if you waited for it for a while or if you were really hungry for it. That's what redemption is after a season of waiting. And so this year for our Advent series, uh, we're calling our series A Song for a Savior. And in this Advent series, I want to take the weeks leading up to Christmas to walk through one of the most famous songs in Scripture that we call the Magnificat. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, we see this moment where an angel appears to Mary and tells Mary that she will conceive a child as a virgin and bear the Son of God. And when she receives confirmation of this promise, Scripture records that she presents an incredible song of praise to God. And this is what we're going to walk through in the next few weeks. Now, this is one of those concepts that's sort of core to Christianity, that if you're not a Christian, you're like, this is getting very weird, right? I was reading through the passage in Luke chapter 1, and I was like, this is a really weird moment. You know, poor Mary is standing there. The angel comes and says, you will conceive a son. And she's like, I'm a virgin. She's like telling everyone. She's like, I'm a virgin. I don't know how this is going to happen. And the angel says to her that the Holy Spirit will conceive in her the Son of God. Now, some of us grew up hearing this every year at Christmas time. So we're like, oh, uh uh-huh, a virgin will conceive. He'll be the Son of God. That's normal. But even for those of us who are Christians, when we take a hard look at the story, we're kind of like, it seems like the Bible's getting a little weird at this point. Uh, But the Bible tells us that this happened in order to fulfill a prophecy made by the prophet Isaiah In Isaiah chapter 7, which reads that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So through all all of history, all of the prophets, everything they were prophesying was that God was going to come to dwell among us in the person of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says the Son, that's Jesus, radiates the Father's own glory and expresses the very character of God and sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. If you want to know the character of God the Father, look at Jesus. And God sent Jesus Christ so that we could know him. Jesus came to dwell among us, and he did so through the obedience of a woman named Mary. So I want to read this uh, passage together, and then we're going to break it down a bit as we go. Uh, So in Luke chapter 1, we see a series of events. The angel appears to Mary and makes this promise to her. And then she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, and God's promise to her is confirmed in that visit to Elizabeth. And as she leaves the encounter, she sings... This song of praise to God, we find it in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, 
and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So we're going to break this passage down over the next few weeks, but today we're going to kind of zoom in on just that first part, verses 46 through 49, where Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. The first thing that Mary indicates to us uh, in this song is that, is that Christ brings us into relationship with God the Father. She starts this passage by saying, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary starts in a place of worship. She takes a moment to worship as she has received a promise and then has quickly received confirmation of the promise. The thing about worshiping God is that worship is born out of a relationship with God. Worship is not unique to Christianity. Every faith system engages in worship to whomever they worship. There are sacrifices. There are different ways of worship and prayer. No matter what faith system someone is a part of, worship and prayer and some form of sacrifice are normally included in that. But our relationship with God is not a transactional relationship. We don't worship him in order to get something from him. In fact, the thing that makes Christianity different is that our relationship with God is reciprocal. It's normal in any faith system for you to say that you serve a God. But we serve a God who serves us. In Christianity, we serve God, and he also serves us. And it can almost sound like heresy to say that, but God doesn't serve us because he has to. God serves us because he delights in it. He delights in it. He doesn't do it because he has to. And the thing is that God doesn't just want us to worship him. God wants us to know him. He doesn't just want our sacrifice. He doesn't just want us to tell him how great he is. He wants us to know his heart. He wants us to know his character, and he reveals his character to us. And the fact is that knowing God leads us to worship. The more we know God, the more we want to worship him. Maybe you're here and you haven't been a Christian very long, or you're not a Christian at all, and maybe worship feels like work to you. Maybe you feel awkward. I used to feel awkward when I was younger when I would worship. I'm a naturally expressive person. I don't know if you could tell. Uh, I'm naturally expressive, and so I am expressive in the way I worship. It's okay if you're not physically expressive in the way you worship. I am. Um, so I remember being small, and I would... I would look around at the adults, and they would all have their hands raised. And I was like, oh, man, when I'm that age, I'm totally going to raise my hands and worship. You know, and then, I, and then I started doing the thing where I was, like, doing, like, the little, little, like, palms up, but down at the hip level. You know, and then I got really brave, and I started coming, like, here. And I'm, like, hoping no one's looking at me. And then, like, just kind of trying it. 
a little bit. But what I learned is that it wasn't the position of my arms or my hands that was leading me to worship. It was that I was coming deeper into relationship with God. I was coming to know God more. And the more I got to know him, the more I wanted to express my love for him. That's what we see in Mary in this moment. The way her song begins reveals to us an understanding of a relationship with God. She understands a God who loves her and cares about her. When she received news of God's purpose for her life, she responds in in verse 38 after the angel tells her everything that's going to happen. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. That's like her saying, you know what? I trust God's plans for my life. I trust God with this. She trusted God because she knew him. It's hard to trust somebody you don't know. It's hard to trust God when you don't know him. And the only way to know God is through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. In order to trust God, we have to know him. In order to know God, we have to know Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning, not to wait until crisis hits to seek a relationship with God. I want to encourage you in that this morning. I see so many people who walk away from church, they walk away from God, and then crisis strikes in their life, and then they kind of like try to come back to church, and God will always take you back. God will always take you back. It doesn't matter what happens. But if you already have a deep relationship with God, then you have a well to draw from, and he will sustain you in the difficult times. See, Advent is about remembering distance from God. Once Jesus Christ came, we came into close relationship with God. But Advent is about remembering that season of silence and that season of feeling distant from God. If you're here today and you're feeling distant from God, this is your season. This is Advent. Advent is is about remembering the time in human history when God was silent and seemed far off because Jesus Christ had not yet come. So if during this Advent season, if you're feeling far from God, you're in the right place because we know what's going to happen in four weeks. We know that Jesus always shows up. Jesus always shows up. If you're here and you feel like God is silent about your situation, the season of Advent reminds us that the darkness does not last forever. There's a lot that I don't know about God if I'm honest with you. But I do know this. God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. I don't know what else God wants for your life. I don't know if he wants you to be rich. I don't know if he wants you to be married. I don't know what God wants for you. But I do know that God wants you to know him. And the only way to know God is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus made a way for us to know God. Jesus made a way for us to know God, and he did this by breaking down the barriers that stood between us and God. He broke down the barrier of our sin. He broke down the barrier of the curse. He broke down these barriers so that we could have relationship with God. So why would he not still do this for you today? Maybe you're here today, and there are barriers between you and God. Maybe they're cultural barriers. Maybe they're family barriers. Maybe they're even intellectual barriers. Maybe you're here, and you're saying, I would love to believe all this, but my, my engineer brain, those of you who are engineers, I know it's difficult for you. Maybe you're here today and your intellectual brain is going, I just can't make the leap to believe it. Jesus is so good at gently getting the obstacles out of the way so that we can know God and know him as our savior. 
Christ became the fulfillment of the relationship with the Father, as well as the path to which that relationship happens. So what happens when we're in relationship with God? When we're in relationship with God, purpose is released in our lives. That's the second thing we learn from Mary in this first part of this song is that Christ brings us purpose. She goes on to say, God has been mindful of the state of his servant. He's been mindful of the state of his servant. And when I first read this, I thought, oh yes, the state of his servant is this very obedience and pious young girl, you know, and you see the glowing paintings of her with her halo and, you know, like Mary's perfect and all of this, but Mary's not saying that she's so obedient or pious. Rather, she's making a comment about her social status. She's saying, you have remembered the lowly state of your servant. She says, God, you have a plan for me, even though I'm a nobody. She wasn't saying that she was obedient and good. She was saying, I am nobody with nothing to offer, and God has made my life count for something. Mary had a few things working against her. Uh, she was a woman in a society that didn't give much credibility to women. Uh, she was very young. She was unmarried, and she was not from a family with high social status. If you were going to choose a person to bear the Son of God, you would think it should be someone with royal blood or something like this. But throughout Scripture, the Lord chose those who were not particularly socially impressive. It's funny how God can choose people and work through their lives even when society says, that's not the person that we would have picked. We see a theme early in Scripture of God passing up the person who was the obvious choice, like the eldest son or whoever was biggest or strongest or most victorious at war. He, also, he often passed up this person in favor of someone who had a relationship with him. We see King David, he was the youngest of the sons, and uh, Samuel came, and he's looking at all the sons, and he's going, which one? It must be the tallest one. It must be the strongest one. And surely it's the oldest one. And uh, there was one, like the kid that they all picked on, you know, was out tending the sheep, singing songs to the Lord. It said he would spend time in the fields just knowing God. God will pass up talent in favor of relationship every time. It's not my status or my wealth or my talent that makes it possible for God to use my life. It is my relationship with him. Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 28. We say this a lot here. Paul says, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. In John chapter 3, John the Baptist, who was, who was the, the son of Elizabeth, who had received the promise, um, some of John the Baptist's followers came to him and they're like, this Jesus guy is really stealing your spotlight. You know, you had this whole ministry and he comes along. And John says in verse 30, he says, he must become greater and I must become less. I need to become less and less so that Christ can be made greater in my life. And when I become aware of how little I have to offer the Lord, I also become aware of what a gift it is to have purpose from God. God gave Mary's life purpose. And you know, the thing is that Mary had a choice. Mary had a choice in it. Some people like to say that Mary didn't have a choice and this was imposed on her. But it's clear in scripture that the angel came to her and said, you will conceive a son. And Mary accepted this task. She said, let it be to me as you have spoken. 
And then the angel left, and then everything was set in motion. Mary had a choice. She could have said no. And I don't know that God would have punished her for saying no. God still would have loved her. He would have found someone else. Maybe someone else before Mary said no. Who knows? Um, But she had a choice when the angel appeared to her. God laid out a purpose for her life. He said, here's what I have for you. And Mary said yes. She accepted the purpose that God laid out for her life because she trusted him. The third thing that Mary lets us know in this, in this song is that Christ brings us redemption. Christ brings us redemption. Uh, she, she says toward the end of this little uh, chunk of the song we're looking at, she says, the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She says, the mighty one has done great things for me. See, what Mary understood was that God had done something for her that she could never have done for herself. This is the character of God. This is the character of God to come through and to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And she gives credit where credit is due. She doesn't talk at all about herself or how she has earned this. She doesn't say, oh, I knew perfect attendance in Sunday school would pay off one of these days. You know, she doesn't talk about her own obedience or how she's earned it at all. She gives credit where credit is due, and she recognizes that God has given her something that she could not have earned or expected. This is a pattern that we often see in Scripture when God does something incredible. The amazing stories that we see in Scripture. Often, first, there's a relationship of someone recognizing and accepting God's love and loving him in return. And that relationship leads to the release of purpose in that person's life. And then that person starts to live into what only God could do with their lives. This thing about entering into a relationship with God and this thing about God releasing purpose into our lives, it can be scary because really what we're doing in entering a relationship with Christ is we're giving up control of our lives. That's what we do when we enter into a relationship with Christ. We say, I'm turning the steering wheel of my life over to Jesus, and I'm giving, up, I'm giving up control. We fall into an illusion of thinking that if we can just stay in control of our lives, everything will turn out okay. But the reality is, it's when we give control over to Jesus, and when we start walking in obedience to him, that God can really do something incredible with our lives. The season of Advent is one where we remember waiting for rescue. And it's one in which we look forward to the second coming of Christ and our ultimate rescue. And one of the places in scripture where the story of rescue is illustrated is in the book of Exodus. Uh, For four generations, the Israelites lived in slavery in Egypt. And for four generations, they cried out for someone to rescue them. They cried out for someone to come and deliver them. And God raised up Moses to lead them out. And in Exodus 14, we see this incredible story where the Israelites are leaving Egypt. Pharaoh has changed his mind again, and he goes, we got to get these people back. We're going to kill them. And God leads the people. It said God led the people as a pillar of, uh, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, because you couldn't see the fire during the day, right? Um, God, God intentionally led them to the shores of the Red Sea. Okay, they didn't end up there by accident. God led them to the shores of the Red Sea, and the armies of the Egyptians are coming up behind them. So they're standing between death and death. They have two options. They can either drown in the sea or be killed by the Egyptians. It's not a very nice thing to choose between. And the people look at Moses and they go, what have you done? 
What have you done? At least if we had been in Egypt, we wouldn't have had to watch our children die in front of our eyes. We wouldn't have had to watch our spouses and our parents be killed right in front of us. What have you done to us? And Moses says to the people, he says, you know, I think God might be capable of getting us out of this mess. God intentionally leads the people to a place where they had no option but to rely on God. Death on one side and death on the other, and the only way out was to be the way miraculously provided. And the story goes that, uh, that Moses lifted his hand and the sea parted. Many of you know the story of the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. All of the Israelites walked through. And as soon as they were through with the Egyptian army in pursuit, the sea closed back up and swallowed up the Egyptian armies. And uh, in Exodus 15, 21, we see another song in scripture where Moses and Miriam sing a song of praise to God. They say, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. See, Miriam saying the same thing that Mary sang, which was, God has done for me what I could not do for myself. I'm going to have the ushers prepare to receive or to prepare to serve communion. We'll receive communion together in just a moment. But this is what we wait for as we wait for Christ. We wait for the one who will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's why Jesus Christ came. There's a lot that we can do for ourselves and in our own efforts. We can try our best to be good people. We can make good things happen for ourselves. We, we have the capacity to make money and provide some things for ourselves but we cannot rescue ourselves. We cannot rescue ourselves. We cannot forgive ourselves of sin. We can, we can, in a way, we can forgive ourselves and feel better about ourselves if we've done something wrong, but we cannot absolve ourselves of our sin. We cannot make ourselves righteous before God, and we certainly cannot resurrect ourselves. We come to a place where we're completely dependent on Jesus Christ to come through for us. Mary says, the mighty one has done great things for me. Jesus is still doing what he did at the very beginning. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And when we are stuck between death and death, it is Jesus that is the way out. Would you stand with me? Hey, this is Kelly, lead pastor of the Bridge International Church. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from The Bridge. If you'd like more information about The Bridge, or if you'd like to get in touch with us, visit us at thebridgeparis.com.